everyone. My name's Colin. I uh, lead United, our young adult ministry here. Also work with life groups at Grace. Uh, I'm super excited to be joining you guys today. Uh, if it is, if we've never had a chance to meet before, I'd love to meet you, hear your story. And if you're interested in getting connected to the young adult ministry or to life groups, I'd love to help you do that as well. Uh, but today, I'm really excited that we have a chance to continue our series that we've been in for a couple months now uh, that we've been calling The Way of Jesus. And so in this series, we've been doing this very straightforward thing of just journeying through the Gospel of Luke and looking at the life of Jesus. And so why the Gospel of Luke? Well, uh, Luke actually tells us why he has written his gospel. We've continued to kind of come back to this verse here. But Luke has written his gospel so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. And so Luke wants us to be certain about Jesus, about his way of life, and about what it would mean for us to follow after him in that way. And so Luke's goal is certainty. And so as you might be able to, like, as you can see, this series is kind of very timely because it seems like we are living in a time of increasing uncertainty. This is the world that we are kind of living in. That the news reminds us uh, constantly of the very uncertain world we live in. Every headline is just this uh, reminder of the uncertainty, the instability, and and the unpredictableness of the world that we are living in. And so with that, we can kind of respond to this uncertainty in some different ways. Uh, For some of us, it leads us to anxiety about the uncertainty. So anxiety in our careers and our jobs. Or anxiety about our family and maybe health problems. Or maybe just anxiety about the world overall, right? For others of us, uh, this uncertainty can lead us to find comfort in things that we think are more certain. So maybe you have a steady job and can find some comfort there. Or maybe you have a stable savings account and there's some certainty in that area. And then for others of us, this just leads us to asking questions, looking for reasons about why all this is happening. I remember when I was working as an engineer, one of my coworkers uh, who knew I was a follower of Jesus, she asked me if I thought COVID and all the suffering that came kind of from that was a punishment from God. And what she was doing was looking for reasons to try to explain the uncertainty and the suffering present in our world. And maybe as you see some of the news headlines of our day, you're asking similar questions. Maybe you're looking for someone or something to blame. Or maybe you're just looking for some kind of explanation for why all this is happening. Well, again, I think this passage in Luke and this gospel in general is very timely for us. And especially today as the passage we're going to look at, we're going to see Jesus Talk about the uncertainty of the world that he lived in. And not only talk about that uncertainty, but talk about how we should respond to it. And so would you guys go ahead and actually flip to Luke 13. That's the passage we're going to be in today at the beginning of that chapter. And that's going to be on page 847 in the Bibles that are under your seats. I do want to say, we say this every week, but if you don't own a Bible, we think it would be really sweet if you did. And so you can go ahead and grab one of ours under those seats and just take that if you don't have one. But as you're getting there, I just want to catch us up to speed a little bit on where we've been in the gospel of Luke so far. And so a few chapters back, Jesus began his journey to Jerusalem. And so since then, he's been traveling through various cities, teaching his followers along the way. And so Jesus has been teaching about some very, very tough and challenging topics, things like the cost of following him, what it costs us, Uh, things like our prayer life, things like loving our neighbors, Last week, Pastor Tony talked about uh, Jesus' teaching on greed and generosity. 
And so maybe you've been following along with that, or maybe you've been taking up the challenge to read Luke through this series. And I do want to say, if you haven't yet taken that challenge to kind of read Luke as we've been going through it on the weekend, you can still do that. Luke's 24 chapters, so we're about halfway through, and you can go ahead and kind of pick that up. We actually have some more scripture journals for you over at the Welcome Center that you can jump on board with that, and I encourage you to do that. But as we get to the end of chapter 12 here, Jesus is going to begin to address the crowds and talk about the very particular time that they found themselves in. And he's actually going to accuse them of missing out on the reason and the purpose for their time. And so this is what he says at the end of chapter 12. He says, you hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and the sky. How is it that you don't know how to interpret this present time? So he looks at the crowds and he says, you guys can figure out the weather and the weather patterns, but you can't understand this time that we are living in or its purpose. Well, what was the time that they were living in and what was its purpose? I think today's passage in Luke 13 is actually going to help kind of shed light on this idea. And so we'll start in Luke 13, verse 1 here. And here it goes. It says, Now there was some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. So starting with a nice warm and cozy passage here, right? And so as Jesus is traveling, traveling along, somebody brings up one of the recent crazy events of the day. Somebody asked Jesus if he saw the recent headline involving a guy named Pilate. And so just to give you guys some background on this guy named Pilate, he was a uh, Roman governor of the province of Judea. And so that province, it included the city of Jerusalem, where the Jewish people would go and worship God at the temple. And part of that worship was they would go and offer sacrifices to God. Well, apparently, as this group from Galilee was doing that, Pilate decides to slaughter them and to mix their blood with the sacrifices. So it's pretty intense, right? And so the Bible, uh, actually, this is the only place that this particular event is recorded for us in history, is in the Bible. But history does tell us that this guy, Pilate, was notorious for being very cruel towards the Jewish people. Another historical event that's recorded for us is when Pilate would actually uh, go to the temple treasury, take some money out of it for a building project of an aqueduct that he wanted to do. And of course, that upset the Jewish people. And so what he did as they were protesting is dress up some Roman soldiers as common people, send them into these, this crowd of Jewish protesters, and then at his signal, they would just slaughter the crowds. And so this event here of this Galilean massacre, it's like your, kind of like your typical news headline of the day, right? It gives us a very accurate picture of the uncertainty and the suffering present in the world that Jesus and his followers lived in. And so look at how Jesus responds to this news. This is what he says. Jesus answered, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? You know, I, I would think that maybe Jesus would use this opportunity to condemn Pilate or condemn violence in general or, or maybe even blame Rome for their oppressive rule. But instead of that, Jesus takes this as an opportunity to talk about probably one of the greatest mysteries and greatest questions we as humanity really wrestle with. And it's this question here. Why do bad things happen? Right? Is, this, is this not the question that we find ourselves asking today when we look at some of our news headlines? Why is this all happening? And Jesus says, do you think that this particular bad thing happened because they were worse sinners? They were especially bad sinners compared to the rest of the Galileans. 
Or in other words, that how, how much suffering somebody has in their life is an indication of how much sin they have in their life. And so what Jesus is doing here, he's actually exposing the common Jewish belief of the day, that, that the suffering present in somebody's life was always the result of sin in somebody's life. You see this same uh, belief actually at play when Jesus, in the Gospel of John, would go and heal a man born blind. In the Gospel of John, uh, his disciples ask him, they say, Rabbi, Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Right, this guy born blind, it presented this interesting problem because they were, they were trying to account for the suffering in his life. And did it come from him sinning as a baby in the womb? Or was the suffering, the blindness in his life a result of his parents' sin? This belief kind of only allows these two options. And then on the other hand, this belief led to the idea that if you aren't suffering, well, that must mean you aren't that sinful, right? Like if you have a good life, well, you must be a pretty good person. And so in order to escape a life of suffering, maybe escape a massacre like the one these Galileans went through, well, what you should do is try to be a good person. That was kind of the idea. And Jesus knows this, so he's, he's exposing the reasoning. He knows that they're looking for an explanation for the suffering and the uncertainty that's present. But look at how he responds to his question. He answers his own question here. And he says, I tell you, no, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. And so Jesus very directly tells the crowds that it was not a result of them being the worst sinners that they perished, that they went through this massacre. And notice that Jesus doesn't address what caused the suffering. He just tells us what didn't cause it. That it wasn't that they were the worst sinners. And then instead of giving us a reason to help us understand the suffering, he gives us a command. Repent, or you too will all perish. Well, if that's not clear enough, Jesus would go on to give us another example. He'd say, or what about those 18 who died when the tower in Siloam fell on them? Do you think that they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? And so Jesus here, he talks about this tower in Jerusalem that fell and killed 18 people. And so this news headline would have been more of like a natural disaster, one not as easily tied to the wickedness of a person like Pilate. And so this one would be a little bit harder to blame on a person. So I don't know, I think that maybe, it, it, I would expect Jesus to give us a defense of why God would allow something so horrible to happen. You know, to answer those philosophical questions we always like to ask about how, if God is all good, and if he is all powerful, why do bad things happen? Or how could a loving God allow suffering? But instead of entering into a philosophical debate about the nature of evil, Jesus asks a similar question to what he did last time. Again, he goes on to expose their reasoning for why they would think an event like that happened. He says, do you think that those 18 were more guilty than the rest in Jerusalem? Like, do you think God's plan was just to round up the 18 worst sinners in Jerusalem, give them an appointment at the Tower of Siloam, and then bring that thing down? Was that his plan? Maybe this is the, the you know, idea that some of us have about if we ever walked into a church building, it would collapse, right? Maybe that's where this comes from. But again, look at what Jesus' response to this question is. He says, I tell you, no, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. 
So the same conclusion. In a response uh, to another event that kind of highlighted the uncertainty and the suffering of the world that they lived in, Jesus calls us to repent. He called them to repent. And then in addition to that, he tells them the consequences if they don't. He says, you too will all perish. So there it is. There's the message. Welcome to Medina East. Repent or perish, right? (laughs) You know, some people have this idea that like this view of Jesus that he's kind of like this Mr. Rogers or hippie kind of guy that's always talking about kindness and love. You don't really get that impression when you read a verse like this, right? Like this is an intense teaching. What are we supposed to do with this? How are, we are, how are we supposed to understand Jesus here? Because honestly, the first thing that came to my mind when I read this passage was my time in college at Ohio State when I would see guys like this, right? There it is, repent or perish. So maybe you've had an experience with somebody like this or, or know somebody like this. If you, if you haven't, basically, uh, the idea was is they would pick a certain sin and then they would deem people who practice that sin the worst of all sinners, and that that they would make the point that God is judging the world because of them. And so some weeks it was abortion, some weeks it was homosexuality, and they would make it seem as if God's goal was to judge and destroy the world, that God's plan was that sinners would all perish, that they would be judged. Is Is this what Jesus is saying to us? Is this Jesus' teaching here? Is that what he's saying too? Well, while this is a very serious teaching on God's judgment, I hope we can see that this is a complete distortion of that teaching on God's judgment. That I think the rest of this passage is gonna actually help us unpack and understand. But before we get there, I want us to see what Jesus' point is so far. I think what he's saying is that when we face, or when we are faced with the uncertainty of life, our response should be repentance. Then when we hear about the sudden and tragic loss of life, that should lead us to repentance. Because again, instead of Jesus engaging in this philosophical debate about the nature of evil, Jesus gets personal. Jesus is always doing things like this. You know, we wanna take topics like suffering or the problem of evil, and we wanna put them out there kind of away from our lives and just think about them. But Jesus takes topics that we want to keep at arm's length, and he brings them up close and personal right into our lives. You know, those in the crowds, they were sitting there debating about the sin of others. Jesus calls them to deal with their own sin, right? We like to look for reasons. Jesus calls us to respond. I like the way one commentator put it. He said that uh, when disaster strikes, we often derive comfort from some sort of explanation for why it occurred. Because if we can explain why it happened, well, then we can provide ourselves with reasons why it will not happen to us. That we like to look for reasons to make the uncertain a little more certain. Right? When tragedy strikes, we like to look for someone or something to blame. Because if we can find explanations, well, then we can seek to kind of stay in control of our lives and keep things a little more predictable. But in this passage, Jesus doesn't give us any explanation of the evil that's present in our world. He just assumes it. 
He just knows that since the fall of humanity, since sin entered into the equation, the suffering suffering and brokenness we see is now just part of our world. Now, this doesn't mean that the Bible doesn't help us better understand the suffering present in this world. Because I do want to say, if there's anybody in this room right now, maybe, who is going through an intense season of suffering, I don't want you to think that this is all the Bible has to offer you to get through that season. If that is you, if you're going through a season right now like that, I actually want to point you to a series that we did uh, a couple years back called No End in Death. And so in this series, we walked through the Bible's very complex view and understanding of suffering. And I would encourage you that if you're in that season, you can check this out on our website or our app to, to listen through it because it can, it can give you hope and it can help you through the, the season that you're in. But I don't want us to miss the point of Jesus uh, in our passage today, that he is uh, far more than just being concerned with how we explain the presence of suffering in our world. He is much more concerned with how we respond to it, that it should lead us to repentance. And so why? Why is Jesus so focused? Why is he so adamant about our response in this situation and in this passage? Well, imagine this scenario with me for a second, all right? Imagine that uh, someone you love's house is on fire and that they're still in there, okay? And imagine that you somehow get the courage to run in there after them, to try to rescue them and call them out, to get out of the, to get out of the house. But imagine when you get to them, instead of listening to you, they want to talk about the reasons why their house is burning. You know, they want to ask questions about like, well, well, who started the fire? Like, who is to blame? Why did the fire start? You know, why is it just that my house is the one burning? Well, if you love them, uh, you're not just going to sit there and reason with them. You're not going to sit there and give them the five, the five typical causes of house fires, right? No, you're not going to give them an explanation. You're going to give them a command. Leave. Get out. Abandon your house or you will die. Because that moment is far too serious. It's far too dangerous to worry and bother with explanations. Your goal is not that they would understand the nature of fire. Your goal is that they would leave the danger of the fire, Well, I think something very similar is going on in our passage today with Jesus, that because he loves us, he's pointing us to the danger in this world, and he's pointing us to the greater danger for those who don't repent, and telling us that this this danger, this uncertainty, it should lead us to repentance, or else we will perish. And actually, this call from Jesus uh, to repentance is so serious, and he takes it, um, it's so important to him that he's going to follow up this teaching here with another parable to illustrate this call. And so that's where Luke goes from here. Look at what it says in verse 6. It says, Then he, Jesus, he told this parable. A man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit on it, but did not find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, For three years now I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? And so Jesus tells the story of a vineyard owner who planted a fig tree in his vineyard. And it says for three years, he's coming to get some figs from this tree. But after three years, he hasn't had any. And so I don't really know much about fig farming, but some commentators do point out that if this tree hasn't bore fruit by now, it's probably never going to bear fruit, right? It was essentially like a lost cause. 
And so this vineyard owner does the reasonable thing of asking his worker to remove it from the garden because it's taking up usable soil. And so I think what Jesus is doing here actually is he's helping giving us a picture of what it would actually mean to repent, of what repentance actually looks like. Because this image of a fig tree, it's actually a very popular image of God's people all throughout the Old Testament. And Jesus is pointing out that the issue was is that they weren't producing fruit. Or in other words, the people of God didn't have the life change that actually came from knowing God. And so he calls them to repent. And that word there, all it means is to change one's mind. But to change one's mind about Jesus leads to a changed life. Actually, this is the same message that John the Baptist, who was kind of the guy who prepared the way for Jesus' message and ministry, he presented this same idea. Even earlier on in Luke, this is what he said. This is John the Baptist's message. He said, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. The ax is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into a fire. Both Jesus and John the Baptist were consistent in this message that true repentance will lead to the fruit of a changed life, a life that is consistent with repentance. Now, this changed life isn't just conforming to an external set of rules. Actually, both Jesus and John the Baptist, they were most critical of those who only had an appearance of external righteousness, but didn't have a changed heart, like the Pharisees, right? They looked good on the outside only. They essentially had fake fruit. True repentance isn't just, it's not simply embracing a new set of rules. It's not merely adapting a new set of beliefs. It's embracing a person. The true repentance is embracing Jesus. And when we embrace Jesus, we embrace his way of life. And the Bible is very clear to us that it is Jesus who is the one who produces the fruit in our lives. This is what Jesus told his followers in the Gospel of John. He gives them this similar analogy. He says, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus said that they need to remain in him, that they need to, repentance is turning from that sin and connecting with Jesus, embracing him, because that's where the life change happens. That as we live in a relationship with Jesus, he is the one who transforms us, changes us at our core, and, and that there's real lasting fruits, real lasting life change because of it. It's turning to Jesus. So that's what repentance is. But I think there's one more thing that is so important that we understand about repentance that comes from this passage. And honestly, I think this next part is the key to understanding Jesus' whole teaching here. I think it's what differentiates Jesus between the guy at Ohio State yelling at us about hell. Because it is so, it, it's so important that we understand God's teaching, Jesus' teaching on God's judgment, because we can very easily get a skewed view of God's, of God's judgment. That we can, we can believe that God is just waiting to judge us. That he's inspecting our lives for fruit. And if he's disappointed, if he doesn't see enough, he's ready to judge. That the message is basically, knock it off, cut it out, because God's trying to get you. Right? As if his goal was to judge us. That just like that Jewish belief, the popular Jewish belief of the day about sin and suffering, we can get the idea that God's goal is to rid the world 
of sinners. That God's disposition towards sinful people is judgment. But is that true? Is that what this passage is telling us? Well, no, I, I don't think it is. Because the, the passage actually isn't over yet. And so look at how Jesus continues to tell this story about the fig tree. This is what he says next. He says, sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year and I'll dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. And so Jesus says that this vineyard worker, he asked the owner to leave the tree up for one more year. And not only that, but he says that he wants to dig around it and fertilize it. He wants to use every resource available to him to see if this tree will bear fruit. What is all this? What what is this parable teaching us about God? Well, I think it's revealing to us that God's goal is not to judge the world, but to see the world changed. I think it's revealing to us that God's disposition towards sinners is not judgment, but grace. I think what this is, is the patience of God that we see all throughout the story of our Bibles. That man, every time God goes to judge, it is not without warning. It is not without him exercising great patience. It's often not without him sending prophets or messengers or miracles or suffering to draw us back to himself. Because God doesn't delight in judgment. I mean, he delights in our repentance. That's what the prophet Ezekiel told us about God in the Old Testament. He said, as surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked but rather that they turn from their ways and live. Turn and turn from your evil ways. Why will you die, people of Israel? Man, if God's goal was to judge us, he would have done that already. Because the reality is every single one of us have walked away from God and embraced a life of sin. None of us have bore the true fruit of a relationship with God. And man, the suffering and the brokenness we see in our world today, it's evidence of that. God didn't need to do that. We did. And sometimes we're surprised when we look at the news that God hasn't ended the world yet. But man, God wants, to be, wants us to know that we can be assured of his grace. That every single day that life continues on is because of God's grace. It's because of his patience. That every day is a reminder that God is a God of mercy. That he is slow to anger. That's exactly what the Apostle Peter said. I think reflecting on this teaching here, he says that the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. That man, God's goal is that we would repent that we would turn from sin and embrace a loving relationship with our Father. That's what God wants so badly. Man, and the suffering that he allows in our life is not to scare us, but it is a reminder of his grace that we do not get what we deserve. That he wants us to be certain of his grace. 
And not only does God allow suffering in, this, in our lives to remind us of that, not only has he sent prophets and messengers and miracles to draw us to himself, God is so committed to our repentance and bearing fruit. He is so committed to us embracing a relationship with him. He's even sent his own son. Man, God sent Jesus for this very purpose. Man, God spanned heaven and earth to call us to himself. That's what Jesus' main message was as he walked the earth. This is what he said, the time has come, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. And the good news that God's kingdom is here and that we get to be a part of it through repentance. That even though we have all deserved to perish, God has come down to rescue us. That Jesus came not to be judged, but to be judged in our place on the cross. The same Pilate who slaughtered those Galileans would sentence Jesus to be slaughtered on the cross for us. But Jesus has not just dealt with judgment, he's even dealt with death itself. Because Jesus dealt with the ultimate form of uh, uh, suffering and uncertainty in death when he rose from the grave. That Jesus doesn't provide an answer to the question of suffering because he is the answer to the question of suffering. And he proved it in his resurrection when he conquered death. And the reality is, is that God has done everything in his power to keep us from perishing. And the way that we respond to that is to embrace the loving relationship that he is extending towards us. To repent and turn to him in relationship. And that's the message. That's, that's what Jesus tells us about God's judgment. And so as we close down here and I invite the band up, I just want to talk about what this could actually look like in our own lives, what repentance could look like. You know, for some of us who are followers of Jesus, uh, you know, we might hear a message like this and think that it has nothing to do with us who, ha who have already embraced Jesus, that it's only for those who have not yet repented. But repentance isn't just a decision. It starts with that, but it leads to a lifestyle of repentance. The repentance is continually turning away from anything that hinders our devotion to Jesus. And the problem is, is that sometimes the longer we spend in church, the easier it is to view ourselves less as sinners and more as people who are getting it together. And all of a sudden, repentance becomes something we did rather than something we do. But I think Jesus here is inviting us into a lifestyle of repentance. And man, through the gospel of Luke, Jesus has been giving us some tough teachings. He's been laying out an incredible vision for how to live our lives, but it's been challenging. And maybe as you have been coming on the weekends or reading through Luke yourself, God has convicted you of some things that need repented of. Maybe there's some things that are hindering your devotion to Jesus. Well, I think Jesus is inviting you to even take these next few minutes to think about those things and to respond to the grace and the patience that he has shown you, to respond in worship and to respond with our lives, turning from sin and embracing Jesus so God can bear the fruit that he wants to in our lives. 
And then for those of us who are investigating Jesus in this room, man, we are so grateful you're here. Maybe you took up Tony's challenge to come through this series, journey with us through the Gospel of Luke, or maybe you're even reading Luke yourself. And maybe you're on the fence about whether or not you want to turn from your old life and embrace this new life with Jesus. Well, I want you to notice how the end of this parable, uh, how this parable ended, that it ended in an open-ended kind of way, that we don't actually know whether that tree bore fruit or not after that year. And I think that's because this parable is actually an invitation. It's an invitation to respond to Jesus's grace. And so I think Jesus is inviting you to to, uh, make a decision to embrace him in his way of life. Because the reality is that God has done everything in his power to call you to himself. And he sent Jesus to this earth to die for you. And he sent this church into this community to bring you this message. Man, he wants a relationship with you. And he has done everything for that. The true life change is available in Jesus. And so don't let the uncertainty of this life drive you to something you think is more certain. Let it drive you to Jesus. And Luke wants you to know that when you do that, you will not, when you turn to him, you will not be met with condemnation, but you can be certain you will be met with the open arms of a loving father. So turn to Jesus and follow him. And let us know if you want to make that decision so we can journey with you. Let's pray. Lord, God, thank you for your insane love for us, God. Lord, that you would love us enough to warn, warn us, honestly, about this, about this scary reality, Lord, and about the, the, the danger and uncertainty in our, in our lives, Lord, that it should point us to you. It should lead us to repentance, God, to turn to you. And God, thank you that not only did you warn us, but you revealed to us, Lord, your incredible grace in calling us to you. And Lord, I pray that we would all respond to that grace. Lord, either in following you and and turning from things that hinder our devotion to you, Lord, I pray that you would bring those things to mind and that we could respond to your grace and laying them down at your feet and in following you in relationship, God, so that you can change our lives. And Lord, I pray that for those of us who don't know you, God, we would see this incredible relationship that you are extending to us through Jesus. God, that it's real and and that you have done everything in your power to save us, God. God, we're just in awe of your love and your grace. We love you, Jesus, and we pray all this in your name. Amen.